You're listening to United States of the Left. Hello, and welcome to another episode of United States of the Left. I am your host, Robert, and joined with... Uh, Jeff. Yeah, so welcome. Uh, Jeff. Yes. A uh, Jeff. A <laughs> uh, Jeff. The Jeff? Uh, just, just Jeff, actually, just Jeff. Robert. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're really excited. We have another interview. Um, and, of course, this interview is a uh, old friend of Jeff because that's how we book the talent. <laughs> I, I've been collecting my friends for years, Robert, for this very moment. That's right. <laughs> when you were, like, in school growing up, you're like, oh, I need to make friends with this guy because he's going to be a guest on my podcast 20 years later. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I, I've actually only known uh, Joe for slightly less than 10 years at this point, which is still mind-blowing. Right. Um, but Joe and his partner and two cats, uh, one day after living in Los Angeles County for an untold amount of time and spending an untold amount of money on rent decided fuck that and moved into a school bus and converted it into a mobile apartment a nice mobile apartment a nice mobile apartment i have uh, spent a few nights hanging out with them in their apartment and commented multiple times about how much nicer it is than my apartment in los angeles is yeah same <laughs> yeah and, and it makes me wish this this was one of the um episodes that we actually were video format because it really doesn't do us justice to just describe it as nice like they did a really good job yeah. making wood it paneling cozy. and yeah. very cozy yeah. yeah 360 views from their bed yeah you know it would probably go for like three thousand a month on the west side easily <laughs> easily maybe more <laughs> Um, so, but Joe is a part of the schoolie community, which is like all these people live in school buses and they just drive up and down the West coast and they go out to, you know, their, their hometown of Rochester whenever they feel like it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they live a true nomadic lifestyle and they have a very small environmental footprint, which is a huge part of his, you know, strongly held beliefs. That's right. And their strongly held, held beliefs. And, um, it's just really inspiring to see someone who's who who lives his life, uh, you know, as maximally as possible within you know his his value system. Definitely, yeah. yeah. A lot of people have you know strongly held values, but how many of us actually live them? Yeah, pull the trigger and uh, take that step. Yeah, absolutely. Well, without further ado, uh, we'll just slide right into Joe's interview. <laughs> Enjoy. So yeah, we're driving. Today's a driving day. We're going from Las Vegas. Well, originally we were in Phoenix. We were like South Phoenix for like three months, four months, and we got our vaccination. And then we're on our way to South Lake Tahoe to drop the bus off uh, for a few months. So yeah, because you guys are you guys are headed to Hawaii uh, for yeah. What, was Ashley's getting some training. Yeah, um, we're headed to Hawaii for two weeks. Ashley got a job and it requires her to do uh, in-person training, but it's a remote job. So after that, we're, uh, we can go anywhere. That's so sick. Honestly, yeah. um, Ellen and I were talking and I'm, I'm seriously thinking about trying to snag a remote job as well. Cause that would be, 
just so dope. <laughs> yeah. That, that would yeah. be so sick. Yeah, that would be dope. Yeah, man. Well, um, hey, I wanted to introduce you guys. So, uh, Rob, this is Joe. Hey, Joe. Joe this is Rob. Hey, Rob, hi. Good to meet yeah. you. Yeah, so, likewise. Um, Thanks I, for doing this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you guys want me to turn my phone sideways or? It does. It doesn't. We're really just gonna matter. do. We're just gonna do audio only. Yeah, but this is oh, great. Okay. So I, won't, I won't stress about it. Yeah, don't yeah. stress too much about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I guess, you know, we, we've actually been talking about trying to do intros more for the podcast. This is like <laughs> number five for us. So we're still really getting used to it. It's uh, an amateur hour. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I'm on. So, be on. Uh, yeah. 100% man. Um, I'm stoked for you to, to be on. So, uh, Joe, I, I think we've been really talking about like, oh, what's the angle for this episode sort of deal. But I, I think like you've got such a wealth of experience as like a journalist, as a uh, you know, your own, uh, activism, your lifestyle, everything that I think that like that alone is like enough to really fill easily an hour of time, just kind of discussing. But, uh, I also wanted to just make sure that you felt like you had a chance to also kind of make your own, um, you know, take your own stand on anything, any issues, um, that you feel really strongly about. I know we've had drinks oh, and, and talked about all sorts of stuff. So I know you've got it in you, so I'm not super worried about it, but <laughs> I think, uh, I think I'm, I, uh, man, I just don't know where to start. Honestly, uh, especially yeah. when we talk about my passion, um, I just really want the world to be, uh, I want the world to be as fair as possible. You know, like people say life isn't fair, but you know, look at what we've done to nature, look what we do to our environment. You know, we control every aspect of everything that we've built cities and gone to space and the moon, you know, like we're capable of anything. Yeah. And um, like, I just want to help us find ways to harness that power and use it to uh, do good in our world. Um, Cause I, I, when I was about a teenager, my parents joined the church and it was kind of like, um, I would put it in the cult category. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but uh, it was just very authoritarian and strict and legalistic. And, you know, like I, I already had a foundation of science and skepticism and, you know, I just applied it. And, you know, after a few years, I've worked my way out of it. But during my time in that, I realized that like so much, so much human hours and capital and wealth and uh, just like all the potential that humanity has just like goes in just like the weirdest places and into like, and I don't know, I just want to try to like divert some of that attention, maybe even if it's just like half a percent, you know, you could, you could change the world. And there's documentary histories of, of documentary photographers and journalists and um, people, you know, who uh, recorded history and were able to carry that history through, through time so that we can inform the people that are going to be after us. Cause we all like to think that like our life is just what it is. Like we're just here right now, but really we're just like, you know, one small, like microsecond of like all the time that's here. And it's really important to leave a legacy and understanding for future generations. So um, I'm not, I do see myself as an activist. I, I also see myself as like a historian and a documentarian, you know, and I, I like to cover uh, subcultures and um, uh, secret secret subculture, uh, secret um, groups of people uh, that you, things that you may not actually 
ever get to see, or I, I, I gravitate to like environmental issues, uh, pollution and, you know, things like that. Um, that, at least right now, that's what's on my heart and on my mind. And especially also Black Lives Matter. And we go back to like what I'll talk about, um, equality and fairness. You know, we have the ability to create the world that we want to live in. I think that, I think that like there's, uh, I, I tend, I, I try not to look at the world in black and white, but if I look, if I, if I boil it down to those two, those things, it's a lot easier for me to like perceive reality, but like, I understand that what I say, like, I understand there's a spectrum and like everyone falls on that spectrum. But I see that like a lot of what's going on in this country is like a pull to maintain and keep the status quo or to like progress us into like an idea of a world that we want to live in. And one is an idea I think that's based on like religiousness where like we used to live in perfection until something happened which was sin. And then because of that, we need to like, oh, we need to work hard to make this world perfect again. Uh, and then the other side is like, uh, the world the world wasn't created. We just were, we evolved and we are here and we make the environment and the world that we wanna live in and we can make the world more perfect every day. And if we're doing it right, we can look back every generation and say, hey, this generation's doing better. And, than the generation before. And um, that's, I wanna be part of that process, I guess. So, Dope, dude. sorry. Yeah, no, no, man. Like that, that, that's so sick. That was a great intro. Rob's like, who is this guy? And I'm like, well, don't worry. I think we'll manage to figure this out. <laughs> so how about, do you want to talk a little bit more? I mean, I think like, obviously this is a podcast, so people can't see this, but you are in a school bus right now. So if you wanted to talk a little bit about more of like where you're at currently, what, what your journey is, you know, where it's taken you and, and where you're at right now. Yeah, um, I got a degree in photography and photojournalism, and I uh, did a couple gigs and decided to not uh, be part of the system and try to work outside of it because I always find that that that's kind of the best practice. And uh, and I just kind of didn't really understand like the whole like landlord situation and my rent going up every year and all that business. So um, me and my partner uh, talked about. Uh, getting rid of our apartment and you know I would I was going off to like the national parks and like camping for like four days five days and like doing work doing some photography and then uh, coming back all ragged and sleeping for like two days and like it just occurred to me that like the time driving to and from and like all the money I was spending to have this place it just didn't make any sense and I was like, well, I could just, if I could just live in a van or something. And um, yeah, that I, and I was camping the whole time. So a van was an upgrade, but then van life didn't really seem like it could be sustainable in reality. So the bus was the next step. It was an, I was looking at like RVs, but they're kind of like built like real flimsy. And a school bus is like, it's like built like a tank, you know, and uh, <laughs> got to keep the children alive. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, it can roll over. Like I've seen, I've seen photos of like people at parks during a windstorm and like a tree fell and like the tree broke in half over the up the, the butt. <laughs> like you could see other pictures of like trees just taking out RVs or like I saw this horror, horrifying photo of like an RV that had uh, hit a guardrail and 
someone was sitting in the kitchenette and it ripped, it exposed the side of the rig and it sucked the person out of the rig. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, hell no. I want to win. (laughs) Yeah. But like it's a, it's a 37 foot flat nose rear engine, five, nine, um, industrial style Cummins engine with a AT five four five transmission. Some, some people out there will know what I'm talking about. We welded a fruit deck on top. Yeah. Like, do you want to uh, take Rob on a tour of this like rig real yeah, quick? Sure. Cause like, it's honestly nicer than our apartment that I pay, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, right the now, I don't know right, a month now. <laughs> right now it's a little, uh, we're in travel mode and, you know, stuff jiggles and things are out, but well, let me turn on the light. Is here. that the equivalent of ex- excuse this, the mess my home's in? <laughs> that's that's it's exactly. really messy though. And, and the thing about a bus is it like, it takes like, it, it's really quick to mess it up like absolutely super quick to mess it up but yeah. but it's also really quick to clean it up so that's nice i mean i i because of because of you know we're we're pretty into outdoor stuff too and um i really connected with you saying how you would just go and spend you know four days in national parks and juggling like that life with keeping an apartment and how expensive that is and resource intensive that is and that's that's kind of what we're in the middle of and like at least in the climbing community van lifers like that's that's really trendy it's really popular um everyone's got their sprinter van um so yeah. I, I definitely like am envious of that lifestyle and um i just i just think it's really commendable what you've done to that bus like it's it's pretty rough <laughs> i've stayed at uh airbnbs and apartments that are like way less comfy than what that looks like yeah, it's it's really comfy. We really like it. Um, I don't know if you guys seen Nomadland, but uh, that movie is just basically like, uh, like is just speaks so much about the nomadic life. And there's that scene where like the people are like, "Hey, you could sleep in our house. You could be our in our guest room, you know." And you just like you're in the guest room, and you're just like in there, like just you just want to be back in your home, you know. Right. And uh, um, that's really it really much is very much is our home and i see it kind of like howl's moving castle like we just open the door and we're in a different place kind of thing <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's really nice sometimes we're driving late at night and we just park to go to bed um, like right now i just found literally just found a, a pad on the side of the road and we're like way off the road and we got joshua trees out here and yeah. um bushes and the sun just set right now and beautiful sunset and like we could spend the night right here but sometimes yeah you go to bed you wake up and you're just like wow where did i wake up and you're just Mm -hmm. stunned by the view and make your coffee chill as long as you want move on um yeah it's an interesting way to live it does have its pros and cons i've learned we've got we're we're almost on our fourth year so uh it's it's been really really interesting really crazy learning curve and uh but we've saved so much money and had so many experiences and um uh yeah it's been it's been great it's been up and down too but do you view like just in thinking about how you've explained your decision making and and the little that i've learned about you and and your partner's life um it seems like it's kind of um the calculus is kind of an acceptance of the reality of what the failed promise of like the american dream of like this this is what you're supposed to seek after you need to buy the house you need to approach like what is important is is getting more stuff consumerism 
Um, and, and that's, that's what you're going to be working for. That's what you're laboring. That's why you're working that job you don't like. And that's, what's supposed to fulfill, be a, be a central part of your life. It's the American dream. And like, obviously that's a, that, that, uh, bill of goods that was sold to us is, is a complete farce. It's a lie. And I think like our generation kind of is coming to terms with that. So do you view your lifestyle as kind of like a rejection of that myth and just kind of like carving out like something that actually fits not only like what we've inherited economically, but also like you said, the, the pending climate crisis and just the realities of like that, that, that myth, that light, that, you know, American dream is, is, is unsustainable in a finite system. If everyone's focus is on having a material lifestyle that's way exceeds what they need or even want. Yeah, I think of my I I used to think of my life as a departure of the of of the American dream, like mm-hmm. really. Uh, but maybe um, it is the American dream. Like, where else can you, you know, where else can I park on the side of the road and feel completely one hundred percent safe? And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to tell you guys whether or not I have a gun in here, but like. You know what I mean? I don't feel the need that I have to ha- have to feel that I have to have have it on me right now. And I've been to really dangerous countries. I've traveled around the world. I think one of the most dangerous places I've ever been, personally, uh, well, actually, two places is like uh, uh, Gary, Indiana, and then El Salvador. And yeah, both Gary, of those I can vouch for Gary, Indiana. That is a scary place. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I've I've only been terrified in two places uh, for my my safety, and I really have my like spidey sense going and I was alert 100% and that's like not being in a car like I was on a bicycle in Gary Indiana and um, late at night and uh, also yeah just like just being in El Salvador and being a uh, photographer and uh, go like having that gear on me and like just being a, uh, someone obviously not from around there and um now I don't ha- I don't feel that right now I don't feel that largely in America except for that one instance um, I don't know it's it's hard to understand but I have been doc- casually documenting the American dream and I've been if you guys uh, check out my Instagram shameless self plug uh, Joe Phillipson with one L but uh, a couple of my most recent posts are actually asking people in the nomadic community what their idea of the American dream is and everyone has their their own slant, their own angle. And I think the old, old dream of like 40 hours in a week, being able to take care of your family with one income, 40 hours a week, have a house, have a car. I don't, I really don't think that does exist anymore. Um, and it really is a shame. And I really do think it's because, and I, and I've seen, I've driven it all across this country. I've ridden my bike through it. Um, there is like, the wealth gap is so massive that like people don't can't even fathom it. Like you can't even understand it. I have conversations with Republicans. I have conversations with Democrats and equally both sides just do not understand even how much $1 billion is, let alone how much $40 billion is, you know, like when Jeff Bezos buys a $500 million boat and then buys another boat to put his helicopter on to follow the $500 million boat. And I have a Republican guy arguing with me about how Jeff Bezos should just be like, you know, uh, like, um, what's the word, you know, he, sh- he did all the hard work. So that's his benefit, but it's, like, yeah, it's and a he, product like, of meritocracy. 
yeah. And this guy is like, was like, I, I started a business and I make a million dollars a year. And it's like, okay, but with overhead and everything, you're not putting a million dollars in your pocket. And even if you were putting a million dollars in your pocket, you'd have to work 500 years to buy his boat. That's it. His boat. Uh, and the dude's like, got like what? $50 billion almost or something like that. So, and receiving government subsidies for his business. Well, and not paying his taxes. I mean, like we could just go on all day about that, but basically I think, I think what's, really going on is that there is uh there's like a, a half of the half of the country or all of the people are fighting to govern the government we the people but then somehow we the people are as being slowly eroded you know what i mean like with our, if our vote if our vote 100 years ago had a uh one-to-one value now with the with like corporations being uh people and them having money, like my money now is against the corporation's money. Is my vote really one to one now, or is it like one to point zero zero one? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Does it now take like twenty people to get uh, a politician to move, uh, whereas like one corporation? You know, I just don't know what the exchange is anymore. And um, but I feel like the the power of the people is definitely being whittled away. Um, and some people just never even got any power. Sure. <laughs> so, sure. Um, I think that's a, I think when, uh, Joe, when you talk about the level of inequality, my, my mind went just straight to, and I I think this is interesting because like, obviously there's the nomad community, which if, and, and like Rob and I have both experienced something similar where we would be considered, you know, unhoused just based mm -hmm. on, you know, sort of life experience or decisions, you know, I was traveling, um, et cetera, and things like that. But, um, and then there's also just the actual unhoused populations. There's the, the homeless populations in, in Los Angeles or wherever, and whether they, they intended to be out on the streets or by themselves or were, you know, kind of forced into that circumstance. I mean, when we talk about the levels of inequality, we oftentimes don't even consider that these people are like citizens of our country that we've just uh, completely Absolutely. left to their own devices, but they are Absolutely. legitimately just swept under the rugs. Um, yep. but I, I think that's a, it's a really interesting way that you also premise this around sort of the American dream of sort of the nomad culture, because it's not just an individual, you're talking about this community, this very broad extended community, um, that you all come yeah. together and share knowledge, uh, provide for each other. Um, and talk a little bit more maybe about that nomad sort of community, because I think that's a really powerful piece of the film that I saw was how mm-hmm. everyone would come together and um, just sit around a campfire and, and talk. But like, yeah. how extensive was that community and what, what does that bring to the table for, for you all? Yeah, I mean, I'll speak about the schooly community because that's my experience. But the, the schooly community, specifically as a nomad community, is um, like remarkably supported. Um, so, for our listeners, what is the schooly community? Uh, so, schoolies are bus, school buses that were converted into homes. That that makes it a schooly, and then the schooly community is like the online presence uh, throughout. Like usually Facebook, there's also like forums but usually there's like facebook groups for the school community various groups um and and people just help each other through them you know there's like nomads helping nomads uh schooly palooza schooly nation and uh you can just jump on those and join and ask questions and hang out read the past 
stuff. But like, yeah, if like I broke down right now, I can make a post and uh, someone in the area may or may not be able to help me, but I'd at least get like someone calling me, giving me advice, showing me like how to check filters or like pull things out to figure out what's going on. That way, when the mobile mechanic comes, I know what I'm talking about a little bit, you know, um, things like that. I don't know, just off the top of my head. But yeah, yeah. The thing about community is uh, community arises out of need. If everyone has everything taken care of for them, then you don't need anyone. And if you don't need anyone, then you don't have community. Like, think about it. Uh, it uh, two days ago, there were some people on the side of the road and they ran out of gas and we, they were waved us down and like they had kids and they were outside. It was 110 outside. So we pulled over. And we helped them out and they were super thankful. Like, and we, you know, for that moment became friends. And in that moment, like we have community just even that, in that briefest moment. And that's why like, after like attacks on like, you know, uh, you know, like gun violence or like a tsunami or any, any tragedy where there's like people need each other, you're going to see like this huge growth and out, outpour of community. And, and, uh, but if you have everything you need, then you don't really need anyone. And I think that breeds isolationism and, if I can order everything off Amazon, I don't have to interact with anybody. If I, if I live in my box, I work in my box, I get in my box, it's, you know, uh, you really, you're really seeing an erosion of community. And with that erosion of community, you're kind of seeing like, like I see what I'm seeing is like sliding back into like feudalism, which I think is uh, really dangerous for our democracy. And, you know, capitalism was like an evolution from feudalism. As, as far as I see it, this is all my opinion. I'm prefacing, I'm an amateur everything. So like <laughs> the way that I see it is that like we had a feudal system, you know, and then, and then capitalism brought us out of that in the sense that any of those roles could become, anybody could attain any of those roles. It just made it so that you could become a king. You could have your, and that's what, that's what this like obsession with having a lawn and a house mm-hmm. and property. It's all like carried over from like medieval time. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, you know, I want a moat. Exactly. <laughs> And capitalism made it possible that every person could become like their own micro king. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but what we're seeing is, is that, is, is that like, it's not really true, uh, for everyone. It's true for some people. And the, we definitely do have micro kings. And at this point, we don't even have micro kings. We have literally people that are worth more than entire nations and worth more than nations combined. Yeah. And like, when, I think we could call but, it techno feudalism. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I, I have to think about that. But, um, you know, you're just seeing this conglomeration, not just of like jobs and whatever, but, you know, these people that are that have these these people that are buying politicians or buying newspapers or swaying public opinion. They're they're literally changed. They're shaping and changing the minds and hearts of the people of this country. And we're, we're not like really seeing it happen. You know what I mean? And some of us are, but a lot of us aren't. Uh, a lot of us are being really easily manipulated. Uh, both sides of the media, to be quite quite honest, one side more than the other. But um, yeah, there's just a lot of disparity going on in this country, and I think it'd just be really interesting if, like, we measured our wealth not by our how many billionaires we have, but we measured our wealth by how few people lived on the street. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. When you mentioned that um, community, like kind of a 
important ingredient in the building of community is need. It kind of reminded me of some uh, something I was reading about um, a little while ago about the building blocks of how to make a multicultural community work. And, and one of the tenets that they said is interdependence. And um, and so I, I, I agree with what you said. And, and so I guess my question is, whether it's nature or nurture, most likely just a combination of both, like it seems as if it seems as if it's our natural inclination to gravitate towards these creature like these creature comforts, like oh, two day shipping, why wouldn't I want that, right? And 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 like you uh, illustrated, you stay along those lines long enough, it's like what needs do you have? Right. And then you then you see this total breakdown of community. So like from your own experience, what was what was what was it that you tapped into or maybe the catalyst that allowed you to be, you know, consciously decide to not be lured into that, you know, gentle sleep of, of creature comforts and maybe sacrifice some of this stuff. But what you're gaining on the other side is this rich community and this rich lifestyle. Oh, man, I think it's just like. I can only speak about like me and I think I just really love to learn and I love to explore and I love to, uh, I just love life and getting into a cycle where I blink in a week and a, and a year goes by where like every day just becomes the same thing. And like my highlight is like the one day a week that like maybe I'm cognitively uh, like able to like, do something fun uh why because like i need to maintain all this overhead you know well what if i took out the overhead like we i i still have internet i still have water i still have heat propane um even if i even if i just lived in my rig and plug, plugged in at an rv park and had every comfort you could imagine it would still be like vastly less expensive than owning an apartment and being committed mm -hmm. uh buying property scares the crap out of me where do i buy it do i buy it in california where there's going to be no water where we are still in a drought yet nobody wants to talk about it because you don't want to freak out the economy that's that's one issue that's an example of my issue with the media like oh drought's over no it's not over the aquifers are being depleted we're literally using way more water than we than it and it's not sustainable and we're not having that conversation mm -hmm. because we want to we want to like E, we, we feel like we can ease into climate change uh, and not alarm everyone. But the thing is, it's like climate change is already happening. And uh, the effects that we're feeling now are from pollution that we did, you know, decades ago. So like we're already in the hot pot. So what are we doing to, about it? And so buying property anywhere kind of just scares the crap out of me. You, you know, I, and the thing is, is like, even I, I thought maybe Maybe up by the Great Lakes would be a nice place to buy property because there'll, there'll be water up there and they'll be shielded a little bit. No, nope, they got algae growing in the Great Lakes now that's toxic and turning the water to poison. So like, uh, I don't know if there's going to be anywhere where we can escape. And it kind of started turning me into a prepper, you know, where like, well, maybe it's a, maybe I need to be able to move around like at a moment's notice. And maybe I need to like be self-sufficient and make my own energy, have my own power. Like, Maybe I need to make it so that I can just bug out and go up into the mountains, real, you know, at, at a moment's notice. And when Trump became president, we were just like, hey, we need to, like, come up with some kind of contingency here because, like, he's, this might be, like, this might be the start of the fall. Who knows? And 
we just kind of felt like some impending something some impending doom was coming and we didn't know what it was and uh and COVID came and and they uh, call it fascism <laughs> and uh like our life didn't change with COVID at all almost um we were pretty much quarantining already so uh we just waited it out and uh it worked out yeah but I don't know if I'm rambling at this point, but <laughs> no, man. I think this is uh, I think this is really good though, because like I think it's really fascinating. Where you know, I think a lot of people have um, similar viewpoints and perspectives as you, but very few people actually pull the trigger on those things as mm-hmm. well. Where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, the world's falling apart. What am I going to do about yeah. it? And you're like, well, I know how to like fix like a gigantic engine. And you know, right? Well, yeah, power. I, it. <laughs> I didn't know how to do any of that stuff, though. Yeah, um, I didn't know how to do any of that, and I'm still learning a lot. But I just like wanted to know what my carbon footprint was. Yeah, I, you know, like I, I have a what I think you know, those like barbecue sized propane tanks, one of those, like that'll 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 heat my water for like months, one of those will power my stove and my oven for over a month of cooking. And one of those tanks cost like ten dollars to fill. I used to spend forty dollar delivery fee on the gas. That wasn't even the gas that I bought. It would just be every month I paid forty dollars for them to deliver the gas to my apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, like it's like four tanks, and I don't even use that much, you know. So I mean, I just want. I was just like, what is my actual footprint? What do I actually need? How much water? Do you guys know how much water you use every day? Like, Dude, I take the longest showers. I I, no. I got to admit, well, I got to admit, Joe. You can you can judge me. I don't know, <laughs> Joe. Shower, bro. I, I don't know, shower. Joe. But I have I have intentionally cut uh, red meat out of my lifestyle to reduce That's my cool. water footprint because I know and I I don't buy almonds because those are super water intensive. So it's I've I've kind of approached it more on a dietary front than taking shorter showers because i take short showers already i'm kind of a dirty person yeah yeah we take military <laughs> showers and we take one probably like on average every three or four days and uh unless we get gross if we get gross we'll take a shower you know but you know we don't really i mean i i don't i don't have i don't have statistics here but let's be honest like an individual taking a shower you know, daily basis is, is definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll put this out there. I think that if you walk down to Laguna beach or you drive down to Laguna beach and you see those huge lawns filled with great, beautiful plants that aren't native to Southern California and the amount of water it takes to, to keep those, or even shoot outside this apartment, they water the patch of dirt every morning (laughs) that doesn't even have grass on it. And like, I mean, when we talk about lawns or we talk about, I mean, I think Rob food production is a huge part of it. You know, we, we have a ton of food that we grow in the central Valley and and California that just sucks up that water on a huge basis. Like if we were just, I mean, you know, the, uh, California is like economically very dependent on agriculture. Nobody really talks about it, but it's a huge agricultural powerhouse, but that is a huge huge like a gigantic proportion of the of the usage and i think that like this is something that i feel pretty strongly about is that we as americans i mean you guys have kind of talked about this a little bit of those the micro king units and everything but we, we also put a huge amount of um both pride 
and um, accountability on the individual. But really, we should probably be talking more about accountability for corporations, for, for yeah. you know, communities, for everything yeah. like that, too, because those are the major power you're, players in pollution you're and not water the, usage. You're not the earth with your shower. You're, I know. Like, yeah. In fact, <laughs> like, in fact, the, the, exactly. The, the term, yeah. the term carbon footprint was created by oil companies to shift the focus the accountability onto the individual yeah, like, like i'm was, not saving the world by eliminating straws you know like absolutely, that's absolutely but i think 100%. it's important for you to know intimately what are you what is mm -hmm. what does it take for you to exist right that's fair. Do you know that mm -hmm. like how much water do you need how much energy do you need like mm -hmm. like i think those are fair questions that people just take for granted because they just live in a society that just like delivers everything into their home Mm -hmm. which is dope mm -hmm. like that's amazing don't get me wrong yeah. but like yeah. i just wanted to learn more about like what that was like would it what, is it possible for me to become my own biodome like yeah can i produce enough electricity just from just the sun to sustain me yeah. uh you know we had electric bikes that had like a 40 mile 50 mile range that went like they went like 30 miles an hour you know we charged them with the sun you know we didn't we were trying to whittle away as much like dependency on like gas and power that we possibly could just to like see what would happen and um you know like i i kind of wonder like are we a parasite on this planet or is it possible for us to like once again learn to like live within nature and not try to just dominate it and control it because we're just going to destroy it yeah. I mean, we already are to uh to your point jeff like um i think that's 100 valid like, i i think the number is like a hundred a hundred companies are responsible for 70% of all the carbon emissions on our planet. Um, but, but to your point, um, you know, I, I think there's something to be said about like, um, seeing the writing on the wall and in terms of like the pending climate crisis and, and the kind of resolution of cognitive dissonance of like knowing you're living your part and like living in integrity with your values. And I also think it's also really important what you're doing um, because it's, it's, changing, it's changing the narrative that we can get away with a, uh, like we're, it's changing the narrative that we can get away with living in a way that is built upon the premise that we have unlimited resources and it doesn't matter what our impact is. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're like, I, I think about, like, you said that, you said earlier that we think that, like, it's just us. Like, we're, we're just so focused on our life, and we think that this time period is the end-all, be-all, but then there's going to be generations afterwards. And I feel like what you're doing is shifting something where, like, many generations, it's just going to be the accepted premise that, like, yeah, we have to live in harmony with nature. And yes, we have to live in a way where we are dealing with a finite system. And I believe that we get there in a couple of generations through people who are engaging this process uh, that you're doing. And then, of course, we need to have the, like, macro accountability and, like, really, you know, drive the, the, <laughs> the dagger in the, into the heart of the dragon. Yeah. We need honest discourse about it, really. And um, we can't we can't be like we can't be like science isn't real. And then also like, well, science will save us later. 
Like, what is mm-hmm. that? Doesn't make any sense. Either yeah. science isn't real, which we know that's not true, because look at all that we're talking to each other through time and space right now because of science, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Power by I, the sun, at least on half of our, our uh, screen yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, but like we we have to like slow down. You know, we see this industrialization of agriculture as being a you know, huge proponent of climate, climate change, you know, um, part of that is because we had to feed Europe in World War II, we had to feed our own troops, and we just industrialized our agricultural system, like overnight, and we pumped so much food out. And it's really hard to take that gear and like, pull it back and say, we need to slow down. It's hard to say, like, instead of trucking our steak, 1500, 2000 miles from the farm to your table, we should really just like, try to farm closer to, to the communities that need to eat, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. and really it's going to, it's, it's going to, it's, you can't do it because like farming has become so huge and, and, you know, we get our grapes from like Chile, we get our, our produce from other countries that come in on barges. You know, we, uh, it's, it that, that alone is just not right. And we need to learn how to live within our season. Um, you know, it's awesome that we can eat grapes any time of the year, but is that like, that's some like uh sometimes i think about i i think about that as like um capital city you know from like the hunger game mm-hmm. and like america's capital city like literally like when other people watch our tv shows which they where they can now they got internet and they see us doing like stuff stupid stuff with food and they're like starving every day you know and they're watching us like just like mm-hmm. having fights on tv or like for a game show or whatever you know it's like like the, the world is so huge and we're like we're like it's like the hunger games out here and we're the cap we're capital city we got all these districts you know serving us and fighting fighting to provide for us and it's crazy because even inside our own capital city we've got all these like you know wealth gaps and and all that business so i just i just really want more equality for everyone and and access to uh equality i guess so what are what are some mechanisms that you think are are powerful ways of of reaching that um I know you talked about journalism being a piece of it, you know, and being a historian, um, raising awareness. What else? Yeah, right now, I think it's, I think journalism is dying right now. And I think the problem is, is that like, uh, they haven't really figured out how to way to monetize it um, effectively because, you know, they got a lot of their money from the classifieds that like basically pays a lot of stuff. And now all that classified money has gone into like Craigslist and then now Facebook. And uh, they have they haven't figured out how to monetize something that they've given away for free, which is also kind of kind of like the problem with my my industry, specifically photojournalism, where like, you know, like what I do is both invaluable and also worthless at the same time, because mm. what I do is like, you know, like it's like Lewis Pine going into the factories and photographing children working in the factories and it like uh, appalled people like it appalled the world. And it shamed America and the passing like children, you know, worker laws and all that. So, but like who paid him to do that? You know, who was funding that journalism? Like the Jeff Bezos of that era, probably. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, for, I forget. I, but like, my point is, is like, who's funding, who's funding journalism now? Like, how do you, how do you even do it? We all, we all read it. We read the news every day. They're making it. I mean, you know, one of the things that I'm struck by uh, on Twitter, at least, though, is that how active people are 
even without a guarantee of monetization, you know, in good or bad faith, um, there are just people out there with GoPros and that they, they've got their Twitter account as essentially their their column and they're just going yeah. for it. Like, I almost think it's like yeah. a personality type. Like, you've definitely got it. I've seen you at events and things and you're working like I'm like, hey, Joe, how's it going? And you're like off on a, you know, at, at the next corner, the moment shit goes down, like you're never sitting still. I, I you you are sweating bullets when you're when you're working, you know, with a camera. And, yeah. and it's really impressive. Like, uh, I mean, you, yeah. you are all in wherever you go on that. And, and, and I think that that's just a part of who you are as a person, but also as a profession, I just don't, I, I think that there are people who just want to get to the bottom of what's actually out there and, and they dig deep for that. Yeah. I mean, that's like what gives us democracy. If you can't, understand or hold your government accountable and they can just do whatever they want then like is that are you really in power mm -hmm. you know yeah so it serves an important function it's really important that journalism is independent and that journalism stays uh away from being bought like people like uh you know bezos and all that you know so i mean it's really it's it's really interesting where we're at with all that uh and i really don't know what mechanism what mechanisms we can employ to kind of correct some of these things, I guess, you know, I really like, uh, personally speaking, I really like Bernie Sanders platform. And, uh, I really wish that, like, I'm really glad to see the democratic party take some of his principles and incorporate them in their party, or at least pay lip service to doing that. But like the reality is, is that, uh, the reality of my reality is, is that both of these parties are Republican. One's just super Republican and one is just kind of Republican. Hey, that's and, our uh, position. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the true left doesn't exist in this country. And I think that, like, I also try to remind my conservative friends, you know, like, uh, you know, this isn't football. This isn't a sports team. You know, these are tools. Mm -hmm. Conservatism is a tool. Socialism is a tool. Communism is a tool. You know, these are all just things you reach in the tool bag and grab. You know, hey, like, if our country's facing invasion, you know, from a foreign enemy, and they're right on our doorsteps, maybe we should have a Republican president. I, you know, that's got a little bit more like authoritarian in him. I don't know. Uh, maybe when times are going really good and, and we're living fat and the money's flowing, like maybe we should have a lot more socialism policies put into place. Maybe that wealth should be spread around a little bit more because, hey, we are doing very well in this country and there's no reason one in four children in this country should be going hungry. And you could talk Amen. all day about parents, shouldn't be having kids, blah, 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 this and that. But the reality is like those kids grow up, they serve our food, they drive our trucks. We need them reading. We need them understanding contracts. We need them becoming fabrics of this, fabric particles of this economy so that we can all benefit from this collaboration, this community that we need to have. You know what I mean? When everyone is doing well, everyone does well. That's what Ford knew. You know, this evil guy, Ford, I guess, blah, blah, blah. But he gave us an extra day off work. Why? Because he knew that if he gave his employees a day off, they would buy cars and drive them around. And we're at that point again. You know, if we got another day off, if we got paid a living wage and got an extra day off, we would all have a little bit more money. We would all have the time to spend it. And we would all participate in this community. And that money would just circulate and we could, we would all benefit from it. You know, uh, we would all, 
that's just what we're supposed to be doing. But really, that's not what's happening. All the money is being sucked up into a few people's hands. And then they're going around and lobbying the government and they're controlling the government. They're controlling the laws. And then they're controlling how we live. And we got to take this country back from, from that ha happening. And that's what I say when I say we're sliding back into feudalism. Because we're establishing a noble class in this country again. And uh, when, when wealth is sucked up and then inherited through generation, what, what's the difference between that and nobility? What's the difference between that and monarchy? And we fought. We fought blood to get away from that. We fought to get away from that. And we're sliding back into it. And, and if you're a true patriot of this country, I am a true patriot of this country. I, I love America. I love America so much. I'm critical of it. We could do better. We have to on every front. We could be leading the world in everything, climate change, clean energy, feeding the world, uh, solving these problems. But we're so consumed with, uh, with where keeping wealth with the wealthy and all of us are fighting for scraps and they're just throwing us crumbs. Like what it Stalin said, if you just throw them crumbs, they'll love you. You know, <laughs> I mean, it feels like crumbs these days. Yeah, it sounds like something you'd say. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to kind of circle back. Um, I too endorse the four day work week. <laughs> like, let's just talk about that. I mean, like productivity. Like my job is is based around making things more efficient. You yeah. know, like I, I, I can quantify the amount of money, you know, quote unquote, the productivity that I've saved by by making things easier for other people to work. And and like I, I you know, I get a, a lot of joy out of it, honestly, just to see like, oh, I can make somebody's life easier. But it's not like that. That person now that they can do their work twice as fast is going to get paid double. Or gets to no, pay, you don't see you know, the benefit of that. I, nobody sees the benefit of that. No, one, <laughs> I mean, someone where does the, the surplus go? Yeah, where does the surplus go? It turns created. out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it turns. I mean, I work at a nonprofit, so I guess in the end, it does still end up going out to somebody in need. But on the flip side, it's a tax exempt king. Yeah, I, I mean, on the flip side, I mean, this is not an anything new. We've been increasing productivity at a crazy rate. We we suck productivity out of humans at just a wild rate compared to what well, we just did look when at the machines we build like that yeah. replace so much physical labor mm -hmm. like how many how many people did it take to build a road 150 years ago yeah how many people does it take to build a road today yeah. you know it's oh. just like and, 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 and but we're working just as hard with less mm. and uh you know productivity is up what wages are stagnant what yeah. is that what's gonna happen here yeah what's gonna happen our economy I mean, stagnant because what? of this one of the one of the things that I think always struck me is that computer used to be a, a job title. Like there were people who were employed full time to compute like arithmetic at a yeah. very fast rate. And now we yeah. are talking on a computer and we have computers in our pockets. But again, we're still working 40, 50, 60 hour weeks at the same rate yeah. that that one person who was a quote unquote computer also was working like you have to be specialized but you also have to do everything yeah <laughs> well i wonder if there's not some like intersection between this topic and, and what you were saying about the erosion of community because um part of like the maybe conventional american dream is just we have this like puritanical work ethic and yeah. 
And it's just, and, and I think a lot of that is um, work becomes people's identity. And so, yes, they, they need to buy, 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 consume, 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 keep up with the Joneses. And so that incentivizes working crazy hours. But then there's just also like, my job is my life. My job is my identity because there's kind of um, what could be their identity in other realms of their life. Like maybe, maybe meaning and purpose that's derived from community and relationships and like interacting with other people is just absent. And so it increasingly incentivizes having your identity be like, just like in an unhealthy way, disproportionately formed by your, um, by your job. And, and I wonder if people are starting to wake up from that from 2020 and like the fact that everyone, a lot of people got to work from home. I mean, not obviously, you know, the working, many working class people didn't have that luxury and that's, that's a whole different topic for another podcast, but I'm saying there was, there was a pretty large portion of the workforce that kind of was given a break and, and from the grind and they got yeah. to work from home and spend more time with family. And, and like, and I wonder if people are starting to reevaluate if they want to have uh, so much of their identity formed through this like crazy devotion to work that's super unhealthy. And, and if they, and if they realize also from being like kind of, um, cut off from other elements of society that they realize that these other elements are super important because you don't really miss it till it's gone. And maybe they want to start, you know, shifting away and start cultivating a more holistic identity that includes things like, you know, community and, and service and maybe being outdoors. And so I'm just curious what you have to say about that. I've, I've thought about this a lot. You know, we saw essentially, we saw, we saw fast food workers fighting for $15 an hour become essential workers and then come go back to being worthless again. Mm -hmm. Unskilled laborers. Again. Maybe mm -hmm. we should just look at every person in society as an integral part of society. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe we should just pay, maybe what if just like as a random thought experiment, I'll have to think about it. But what if we just paid people higher based on how shitty the job is that way, when they went to work, they loved it. Like mm -hmm. imagine like, a uh, customer service employee or like a McDonald's employee for the really awful job actually gets paid the most because they have a horrible job and they get, they only work three days a week and they get to go in and uh, you know, like, I don't know. I just I have to think about that. But um, I think everyone works too much. I even think doctors work too much. You know, when I hear about doctors, you know, working like, I don't know what their shifts are like 24 hours or whatever. Like <laughs> that's like how accidents start happening, you know, even 12 hours, like, I just think uh, everyone is working a, a, a way too much, in my opinion. Um, and then there's a there's a few people in this world that aren't working at all. And um, and you know the thing about money is that if you have it, it just grows on its own. Mm -hmm. And it, it just like it, it, at some point, it's just like sucking and sucking and 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 growing exponentially and. At some point, we just got to put a cap on it. Uh, otherwise, it's all going to go to just a handful of people. So that's yeah. a threat to our democracy, like an external threat. That's just as equal a threat, in my opinion. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I, I think so. I, I think one of the things that always strikes me when I'm just uh, talking, I, I wouldn't put it down as a as a conservative opinion, quote unquote. I, I think I struggle to put people into buckets necessarily there. Um, but 
when I talk to or have had conversations with people who both consider themselves liberal or conservative, but they just have millions of dollars, there's a disconnect. That's just, it's like the, uh, it's the, it's like the arrested development joke where they're like, what, what does a banana cost? Like $10 and yeah. it's a complete disc, like a completely like a yeah. lack of awareness. It's a departure from reality. It's sure. a departure from reality yeah. that, that really like, you know, I've reached a point in my career where I'm like, look, I'm actually solid. Like I figured out a way to, to live in Los Angeles, one of the most expensive cities in the, in the world. I figured out how to live here relatively comfortably. Am I, um, am I going to, you know, um, go out and, and eat in Beverly Hills every day or, or, you know, go on a, on a cruise regularly or anything like that? No, but like, you know, there's a certain point where it's like, I've got that community. I've got that identity outside of my work. Like I'm okay. I don't really need more than this at, at this point. And, and like, yeah, maybe once we, you know, have a family or something like that going on, like this is going to be a, a different conversation, but I don't think that there's any point where we're really going to see that there, like the, a reasonable amount of money is actually not that much money for people to get by on and live well, but there are just, massive amounts of people in the United States who don't have that much money, you know, available at all to them. And that instead they're the, every decision is crucial to their existence and survival, you know, yeah. where that, where their rent money is coming from, where their, you know, food budgets coming from medication, you know, medication money, money hospital like that. And, yeah. and, you know, people talk about the poor as, you know, lazy and stupid and uneducated, but I would say good luck living off of $300 a week. You know, nobody, nobody wants to live outside on the street. Yeah. You know, it's the <laughs> fact nobody wants no. And if they do, then they've got mental issues. And, and if that's the case, then we as a wealthy nation should be providing some care for those people. Right. There's just no way outside of it. And when you talk to, when you talk to people that are in, in like, um, you know, underprivileged communities, they don't have access to opportunity. You know, they do what they can. Sometimes that is crime. Sometimes that's like, you know, something under the table you know, but people are just want to survive. People want to work, want to have dignity. People want to have pride in what they do. Everyone does. There's the, the argument that poor people are just lazy. I do not believe that poor people might have an addiction. Poor people might have a problem, a health problem. Poor people might have a mental issue. You know, um, uh, poor people just might be poor because they have, they don't have access to opportunity. Nobody's like, you know what? I'd rather just lay in a gutter today and starve you know how painful starving is we've all been hungry right it's so painful it's it's biologically awful like nobody's trying to nobody's trying to do that on purpose like i, I don't know if you guys have ever bought food for homeless people like they'll take it you know like why if you're like why isn't that person getting a job well maybe they can't hold a job maybe they're at this point where they're so like they have no clothes and they're smelly. Like they can't even, they walked into a place to get a job. They're not going to ever get hired for one. You know what I mean? Like there's gotta be like some kind of safety net where we can help people get back on their feet or provide them with the services to help them so that they're not living on the street. Because looking at the pool of people in our society is expendable or like you can use them like, like uh, in a meat grinder because like expect expecting people to live on shoestring budget and then to figure out their own health care if something were to happen or if the car broke down or any of that business. That's just, 
that's just like literally like just edging the bar up to like cast people off uh off the edge of a cliff and we're okay with that and i'm not and i i think as a wealthy nation we all shouldn't uh, uh, tolerate that at all yeah like, there's there shouldn't be one school in america that's better than another school in america Agreed. like i just don't i don't get that like property values dictate how much the school makes that makes absolutely no sense to me a school anywhere should get the same budget as any other school anywhere every kid should have equal access to everything like one kid shouldn't get a different education than another kid one in quality you know what i mean like i do think that like uh i do think that like education should be based in reality and in fact and in science and um and i think that like access to access equal access to opportunity is really what's missing in this country and it's really the driving force of this inequality but the reality also about the inequality is that it's on purpose like you can't have a vacation home or like uh you know your 500 million dollar boat without there being a substantial number of people on the very bottom to stand on to be there and we need to end that Mm. i think there's and, and the idea that I've listened to economists podcasts and, you know, planet money and stuff. And like, they talked about how like the idea of like there being a pie is just totally not truthful. Like you can create wealth, like you can actually create wealth. And when wealth is not flowing, you're it's, it's stagnant. It's unable to, it's unable to grow and become more. It's not like there's a finite amount of dollars in the United States. Like you can actually like grow the wealth here. And we need to do that by by investing in our future, investing in equal opportunity for all people. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, that's our that's that's the reparations that we need to start making in this country to all underprivileged people is to like give them at least access, equal access. You know, you take you take a kid and you you know I was listening to an interview today about Kendrick Lamar. You know, the the greatest rapper of all time. I'm just gonna say, you know, he won the first first person outside of jazz and classical music to win the Pulitzer Prize. He's seen as a documentarian. He's a rapper. He won a Pulitzer Prize. The guy's a genius. He got straight A's in school. The dude grew up in Compton. Like he pulled himself out of the mud, as they say. And because he had some supportive teachers and he had a love for poetry. And if we just gave equal access and opportunity to every kid out there, how many, how many people out there are we going to have that's going to invent new things or cha- change the way that we understand stuff or document the times that we're living in or like invent new technologies? You know, it's possible. It enriches all of our lives. So h- fighting against that and accusing poor people of being lazy and not giving them access to that opportunity is, is, uh, it's like a prejudice that's almost like racism because like what you're saying is like poor people are poor people poor because they're stupid. Well, maybe. Poor people are actually really smart, but they just don't have the platform or the voice or the the time to sit around and think about problems. You know, that's why all the all of our science and invent, uh, early inventions are all like by the nobility, because they were the guys that were sitting around with nothing to do and the money to buy the chemicals and play with the stuff and meet up and have have coffee at the coffee house or beer at the lounge and talk with their other noble friends. Well, all the other peasants are out there like working in the factories and losing just, their like, arms. Just dying at 30. <laughs> just yeah. over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> give, the, give, give everybody, give, redistribute the wealth, redistribute the time, redistribute the, all of that. And you will see everyone in this country step, it, step up. Or we can just keep giving Jeff Bezos' 
$500 million votes. We can keep letting Mark Zuckerberg buy hundreds of acres on Kauai and kicking locals off their land. Because which, is, which is, you're heading to Hawaii. Is there going to be any land left for, for you guys to like <laughs> hang out out there at this point? Uh, we'll see, man. I don't know. Um, we'll see. How, how but, much are you going to miss the bus, by the way, while you're out there? Is it going to feel like you just like took off? Oh, no, the bus is still our home pretty much 100. We're just, we're just going to hang out there for a little bit. Yeah. But the bus is going to Tahoe. We're going to park it at some, uh, at my cousin's house and it's going to be cared for there, uh, for a little bit. That's the great thing about the bus is like, you could just park it next to, uh, next to any city and buy an airport or whatever. And you can just go anywhere and just, Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of having a, a more equitable society, um, Jeff told me that you were doing a lot of photojournalism during the BLM protests. And I was just yeah. wondering if you could share kind of your experience during that. Cause I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, Oh man, where to start? I think that the BLM movement at its core is, uh, it's really just a fight for equal justice in the sense that like, you know, uh, just the, the found fundamental things that make us American, you know, due process, innocent until proven guilty, right to trial, right to life, right to um, uh, trial in front of your peers, uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. You know, Black Lives Matter is fighting for all of those things. And, and I think that there's been a real, real calculated, uh, you know, effort to politicize that movement and to make it seem like the, it's a racist movement from the right's perspective, just from my time speaking with people on the right and speaking to pro-Trump people. And I think that there's a really heavy propaganda machine in this country that really makes it so that any conversation or anything that can, any debate that arises, whether it be Black Lives Matter or climate change, gets derailed instantly. And I think that happened at Black Lives Matter. You know, like if you just boil down Black Lives Matter and ask any American, you know, like, do you think that the state should have the right to enter your home without your permission? No, I guarantee you any Republican out there would say absolutely not. And then the next question would be, do you think that you as a private citizen have the right to protect yourself if the government forcibly entered your home without a warrant? And I think any Republican or leftist anywhere, any American, if you're, in my opinion, a patriot would say absolutely you have the right to protect yourself if the government enters your home without a warrant and without your permission, right? That's just my opinion, but you know, I'm not trying to speak for everyone. And if you take it even a step further, you know, you say, well, does the, uh, did Brianna Taylor, uh, is it wrong that she died by the hands of the police? And like, you're going to get like 50% of the people be like, no, like blue lives matter. Like what? How is that even? So really what you have here is just racism. You have people that think that black people are less than them. Black people are less than white people. And that's really at the heart of it is the fundament fundamental uh, of, of white supremacy. You know, we really do have this, uh, we do really, really have white supremacy in this country and it's a gaping open wound that we've all just kind of, um, not we, like me and you in this generation, but like previous generations have just like ignored because it was so convenient to have a servant class in this country. And, you know, uh, that's that feudalism again. But um, I think Black Lives Matter, the protests, have been really influential and really powerful. I think that uh, it's making a, uh, bringing up a lot of conversation and a lot of um, talk, but like the whole right and talking with the Trump people and the time that I spent photographing them and interviewing them, 
and casually talking with them about what they believe, uh, it seems like a lot of the, what they believe is based on religion and based on the Bible, for instance. And when you base your politics and when you base your, your outlook and your belief on religion, you start voting with your you start voting with religion and your actions. And when I talk to a lot of those people, a lot of what they end up saying, why they believe what they believe is like religious. Well, you know, there are some religions uh, in this country condone slavery. They condone racism. They condone murder. They condone elitism. They condone uh, some of that stuff. And I think that that's sort of leached in this like idea of like theocracy is sort of leached into our um, into our political discourse in this country. And I think that's really what the right stands on. And, and there's a lot of dog whistling going on when they talk, you know, when they talk about abortion, when they talk about all that stuff, I really just hear racism. You know, I hear like segregation all the time. And I think that Black Lives Matter is doing a really good job uh, calling that out and pointing it out and um, exposing that for sure. And I really wanna see them continue to do that. And I think the violence that's come out is just opportunist. You know, it could have been a Lakers game and they would have been out there rioting and looting. It's just, there's people any in any anywhere instance that are gonna take advantage. But like, I never really personally saw Black Lives Matter people doing those sort of things, vandalizing and, and all that stuff. There are anarchists in the crowd doing that kind of thing. But like, even the Black Lives Matter people will say, hey, we don't do that here. Hey, please don't do that. Hey, we don't spray paint on that building. Hey, this is a peaceful protest. That's right. Hey, when we police, we're going to put our hands up. That's really what, what I've seen and what's going on. And I've challenged every Republican I've ever met. Hey, have you ever gone to a Black Lives Matter protest? Have you ever just sat and listened to what they're talking about? The speech from the mouth of what they're saying, not filtered through Fox News pundits or like headlines or yeah. whatever. Have you personally heard what they had to say? And if you call yourself an American patriot, you really need to weigh in every conversation that's happening in this country with like, with real honesty to yourself and to what you're what you believe this what this country should be based on the constitution not on your personal religious belief i think that's great man well hey we're we're kind of running out of time though right now too plus we have a puppy that is just pissed off that we are not paying attention to her <laughs> okay been... that's fine i feel like i've talked enough but no, you know, man, this is this is excellent I'd love, I'd love to talk further. I feel like we just like touched on so many I, things that we. I agree. So I think I agree. we could do like an episode two. But honestly, man, it's it's been so great just to be able to pin down a time to chat at all. So I'm just like super grateful to have had this time. Um, but if you are down to to try to do a, a follow up, Joe part two, Joe part two, yeah, one hundred percent, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. If anyone's interested in following us on Instagram, uh, specifically the bus, we have an Instagram called the Yellow Cucumber. If you want to follow, oh hell there. yeah, all- <laughs> um, yeah, yeah man. Yeah. You got anything else you wanna you wanna plug as well? Uh, Instagram or uh, your? Um, if you I want know- to my journalism, it's just Joe Phillipson, uh, one L. And uh, the yellow cucumber is our bus. And yeah, I would love if you guys listen to, to me here, I would love to hear from you or, you know, uh, give me a follow. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, link all that stuff in the show notes. And yeah, thanks for pulling over in the middle of the desert and finding a cell tower so you could <laughs> video chat with us and do this. We really appreciate yeah. it, Joe. Yeah. So thank that you. A, that's a hell of a ba- landscape, honestly. That was, yeah. that was an excellent, like, I, I mean, I wish people could really get that though. Cause like, 
it's the same thing. Like, I mean, Rob lives in a Honda Prius when he's out traveling at this point. Yeah. So it's Upgrade, like, bro. get a shorty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're making it work slowly. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Right on. Dude. Well, hey, I, I'm going to miss you guys at the wedding, but uh, hopefully you guys yeah. can swing by uh, or we'll, we'll meet you at Wastelands or something like that along the way. Hey, come out, man. Yeah. Let's, let's touch base about that and get, let's seriously have a chat. Yeah. Totally, totally. Oh, it, was really good, uh, it was really good meeting you, Rob and uh, Jeff. It's a pleasure, Likewise. of course. Always a pleasure. Yeah. All right, All right Jen. Safe travels. Yeah, the road. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Take, Cheers. It, take it easy. Say hi to Ashley again for us. Yeah. I feel bad for having like even suggested ending that interview because <laughs> I think you and Joe Rob could have gone on for another couple of hours. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was really interesting that we obviously wanted to interview him because of his schooly lifestyle, but then uh, you know that interview just went in so many different directions, and we really got to dig into not only his. Um, core motivations uh behind adopting this lifestyle but then you know his experience and beliefs on a bunch of other topics yeah absolutely and you know i i think um when i suggested this interview rob you were a little skeptical just because it didn't seem like we had an angle Mm -hmm. but i think that in some sense this is both the most normal conversation you can have with anyone about not politics but ideology and values and belief systems is that people have inconsistent belief systems. Nobody's a a dyed in the wool, you know, Democrat, communist, anarchist, uh, you know, very few people hold a consistent viewpoint on every subject that is orthodox. Sure. And that, you know, we're going to always hear uh, opinions or views that might surprise you even from the most, um, you know, conservative person that you know that they might still have very, say, liberal or progressive views on certain points. But, Definitely. you know, to me, part of the mission of United States of the left is to be able to connect with as many people as possible and and really be able to find those common values that of humanism and progress and, um, you know, a, a better future, just a commitment to a better future. And, and Joe, I think, exemplifies that and is very open to talking with people all all over the world, really, about their experiences. And he, he does not discriminate in any sense of the word. And it's really impressive. Yeah, I, I agree. And I feel like the angle is he is kind of the embodiment of like you said the united states to the left the big 10 the killing of the purity test mm-hmm. i mean there was there was views that he shared that i certainly did not expect to hear and didn't necessarily align with my own but that's kind of what we're trying to do is highlight the value that all different factions or but he doesn't even he doesn't even he doesn't even mark specifically with a, a ideology, mm-hmm. um, but you know he does. He he's he's someone who has structured his life based off of you know some 
progressive ideals like environmental conservation and mm-hmm. anti-consumerism mm-hmm. and liberty. Yeah. And I don't know, it's, it's just really inspiring. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and, you know, Joe is just one of those people who y- you just see the sparks firing off in his brain all the time as he's making these connections and he's just a, a, a dynamic human. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I wish more people would, uh, have the courage to live, uh, more like Joe, honestly, right. I, I think the world would be a better place. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to maybe vote once every four years. I'm not knocking that. Um, but he's literally crafted every aspect of his life to represent his belief system, and, yeah. which is rooted in trying to create a better planet and a better future for human civilization. What better way to end yeah. this episode? <laughs> so we hope, uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, and as always, we if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at... I always put this on you. People's chat. House for United Left that's at right. Gmail. And that's a four. Uh, a numeral, numeric four. Yeah. yeah. Numeral four. And uh, yeah, if, if you feel inclined, uh, please like on the whatever format you're listening to this podcast on. Please share if you feel so inspired. And leave us a spectacular review. Or don't. We'd love to hear oh, your criticisms. You and yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Leave a review, I guess. It could be bad. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. <laughs> so until then. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs> what was in my head?